Hello, Saubona, how's it, Molo, Jumbo, and welcome to the Every Nation podcast. We hope this message will inspire you and draw you closer to Christ. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. How are you doing? Well done, worship team. That was some incredible worship. I am so glad I don't have to preach with somebody next to me who's going to remind me of a random song that I don't know on the spot. <laughs> like, just randomly. <laughs> Anyways, good morning, everyone. Um, if you're new to, if you, if you just joined us, welcome. Uh, we're doing a series, and if you're not here at church last week, uh, we're doing a series called The Gospel. We're talking about the gospel, which is the central message to Christianity. Um, last week we spoke about the gospel being the good news, that if the gospel is a good news, then it's worth sharing. That if it's a good news, it's not a good news, Justin J. It's a good news all the time, or every time the gospel is the good news. And it's important for us to talk about the gospel these days, hey? Because um, everybody does what they, you know, political correctness is almost coming to an end. Everybody does what they want to do with the chest. There's no more, uh, I'm scared of this, or what would my parents say, or, you know, there's no more that. I'll just do whatever I want to do. So for us as Christians, we also need to be bold and firm in our faith. Like, be bold and be firm in our faith and not be apologetic. And the only way we can be, we can be like that is if we're convinced with the message that we believe in. And that's if we know the gospel that we believe in. It is the central message of Christianity. Without the gospel, we might as well go home. It is the central pillar. So today, we're just continuing on that series. We're going to be talking about the gospel. But before we get going, um, does anyone want a chocolate? Okay. Samge, do you want a chocolate? Come over here. Benzega, you said you wanted chocolate. You can come. Well, it, not everyone's going to get a chocolate. You're going to have to like, play for this chocolate. You're going to work for this. The good news is that you will earn this chocolate. Come, <laughs> uh, you want to earn the chocolate? Um, uh, Lindo, you also want a chocolate. Okay. Um, all right, let's get one more person from that end. Whoever puts their hand up first. Oh, Sleep, do you want to? Did I just get your name wrong? I definitely got your name wrong. <laughs> ah, sorry. <laughs> All right, we're going to have to earn this chocolate, and how we earn this chocolate is by reciting what is the gospel, according to Rice Books. And you have to remember it like last week, ne? All right. So, what is the gospel? Hi, everyone. Is that mic on? Uh, huh? Is it on? I don't know. There we go. <laughs> Your name is Mandisa, by the way. <laughs> So um, the gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. Yeah. He lived the life that we should have lived. Yeah. And he died the death that we should have died in our place. <laughs> Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he is the son of God and offers the gift of salvation to those who repent and believe again. Nobody else wants a chocolate. 
Oh wow, how quickly they ran, hey Fezega. <laughs> so we spoke, the gospel is the good news. The gospel is the good news that Jesus lived a life that reached, a God became man in the form of Jesus Christ. And he lived a life that should have lived. You know, there's nothing super spiritual or significant about Rice Brooks's definition of the gospel. You know, we're not creating our own every nation, other doctrine, that extra biblical teachings, but it's just helpful because it helps us to articulate and understand what the gospel is so that we know and we're able to share the gospel. And it's very significant. And we, as, as, as we go through the series, we'll be breaking down parts of that definition to help us understand and get a, a deeper understanding of the gospel. Sorry, can you just like, it's a bit boomy and want to, no, it's just, uh, okay, just lower the gain. <laughs> One, two. Okay, you can increase the volume after that. Thank you. <clears throat> Sound stuff. So, this week we're going to talk about the gospel. We're going to talk about living the gospel centered life. We're just going to continue on from last week. I'm going to merge some of the stuff that we spoke about last week to this week, but the main thing is that we're going to talk about living the gospel-centered life. You know, the gospel is not just a past event, something that happened 2,000 years ago that we remind ourselves occasionally, that we commemorate or remember on Easter, but it is the good news every day. In every single moment, the gospel is applicable in our lives. The gospel is relevant right now. The gospel will be relevant tomorrow. That's why Jesus came only once. It's not like every time you sin, Jesus comes again. And you sin and Jesus comes. No, it, Jesus died once for all, all our sins, for everyone who will exist uh, from that point onwards until, to, until this very day. So it's not a past event. It's something that we live and we need to experience on a daily basis. So, and, and for us to see the power of the gospel, we have to apply the gospel and to apply it correctly. My aunt, um, has, she's like close to her 80s. She's very old. And um, she has a whole lot of prescription medication or just medication that she gets from the clinic. And you know how old people are. Sometimes they sit down and be like, oh, my knees hurt. And they're like, ah, I have this pill that works. And this other one, I might have a headache and I have this pill. Then before you know it, there's a whole stash full of pills. And every now and again, just because I studied chemistry and stuff and I know about medicines and all of that, I have to go decipher what all these pills are for. So what I end up doing is sitting down and just reading the manuals. Oh, this one, oh, what's the trade name for this and all of it? Oh, this is high blood pressure. Oh, high blood pressure. Painkiller, painkiller, painkiller. Ooh, this one says it can't work with that one. Ew, yikes. This one, uh, all of that, and just decipher all of that so that she can have like sort of understanding of how to up correctly use her medication. You know, sometimes you have, uh, what we do is we don't read manuals. Even with phones these days, I'm surprised they don't come with manuals. They just hand you over this brick and you don't even know how, what, how do you turn it on? Like, how does it work? Why, what are these features? How can you maximize it to its fullest uh, uh, potential? And it's a trend that people don't read manuals. You buy a new Hoover, you don't even know how to turn it on. You just, like, try and figure it out. Does this pipe... <laughs> this pipe doesn't fit into this one. You could, you could be justified for just saying this Hoover doesn't work. But the problem is that you did not read the manual. So therefore, you can't really use the Hoover to its full capacity. Sure. You don't know that it's a dry vac. Sure. You don't know that it can vacuum this dirt, that dirt, because you just thought not applying it properly. You just bought the thing and you just expect it to be like, go Hoover, go, do your thing. <laughs> I know it sounds ridiculous, but sometimes we apply the same principles to the gospel. Sure. That, you know, oh, I accept Jesus. Now, Jesus, do your thing. Yes. I'm waiting for it, Jesus. Show me how it's done. 
We have to understand how to apply this gospel in our lives on a daily basis so that we could see the correct outcomes of it. We can't just go into it blindly and expect things to work out for ourselves. So we must read the manual and have a proper understanding. And sometimes I don't blame us for not, you know, for, for not really you know, understanding the T's and C's apply of this gospel message. It's because we've been told the gospel that's like a hack. You know, like a hack, there's a, there, there's a hack for everything in life these days. Like cleaning hack, studying hack, driving hack, cooking hack, everything. You just like Google like anything. I blame it on magazines. They just seem to have, they just have this in, acute way of just compressing all sorts of information into five or ten steps. It's amazing how you can just summarize everything in the world to five or ten steps. Wow. Incredible gift. I'm being sarcastic. (laughs) So we've been sold this gospel that's just like that. Do this. Like that and this without truly understanding and knowing how to apply this message in our lives. One of the key things we have to understand about the gospel and then we can apply it in our lives on a daily basis, is that we have to align our vision for our lives with God's vision for our lives. Because the gospel is God's plan. You can't use God's plan to fulfill your own devices. You must come into alignment with God's plan for your life and what God wants to do with your life and what's God's vision for your life. C.S. Lewis has this quote or this saying where he said, "Um, if... God exists and heaven exists, what is the most important thing? And if God doesn't exist and heaven doesn't exist, what becomes the most important thing? If God doesn't exist and there's no heaven and there's no life after death, then the government becomes very important because all we have is this life and we must make sure we make the best of it. Then our comfort becomes very important If all I have on this earth is 80 plus years and there's nothing else and there's nothing before or after, then this must be the best experience I could ever have because there's nothing more after it. Then if, if, if this life is all there is, then we must maximize on it. We must maximize on our comfort. We must maximize on not having pleasure, on not having all those other distractions in life. But if God exists and heaven exists and life after death is there, then there's something that becomes significantly more important, and that is the kingdom of God and the human soul. If God exists and heaven exists, then your timeline is no longer significant. God's timeline becomes significant. God's plans supersede your plan. There's a new higher authority and there's a new level of living that we have to ascribe to. So therefore, our plans for our lives become not that much important, but God's plan becomes significantly more important. What does God want to do in your life? What does God want to see in your life? Um, The gospel message is not about living a life where you don't want anything. That's Buddhist. That's That's not gospel, where we just don't want... I'm going there, don't you want to go too? Like, do you want, do, do, do you enjoy uh, eating meat? I'm go. no, it's about heaven. No, I'm going don't you want to go too? Do you enjoy the sunshine? It's about heaven. I'm going, that's not the gospel message. The gospel message is not denying what you've, des- what your desire is and what God has placed in your heart. It's not denying enjoyment. It's about aligning that to Jesus and having it in alignment. So we must understand what God's plan for our life. God wants us to enjoy the earth. God wants us to enjoy holidays and sunshines and X and Y, Zs and all the things that he has created because he created them and then he said, it is good. He created chickens and he said, it is good. So we can eat them. (laughs) 
But there's something else. If we just remember that God created chickens and he said it is good, God created the sun and he said it is good, God created Balito and the beach and said it is good, it is good to enjoy for holiday. There's something we're missing. There's something else that God said about your life is that God wants, us, wants you to conform to the image of his son. God wants you to be transformed to the image of Christ. God is working inside of you that you may be transformed to the image of Christ. So we have to hold these things together, that God is working in you so that you can enjoy this life. But that's not, it's, not the, it's, not, it's not the be all and the end all. You know, it's just like when you wake up in the morning and you smell the sunshine. Ah, oh, what a beautiful day. And you walk out. You just don't sit there and just roll in the, in the, in, in the grass. And you, we used to do that when we were kids, right? Watch clouds and all of that. But you can't do that anymore because you have a purpose for your day. The same thing with life. We can't get distracted by the nice things and forget about the purpose of life. I don't know why I'm going down this rabbit hole, but we have to remember there's a purpose for your life. And there's God, God has given us this purpose. In Romans 8 says, For those he, he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. God has predestined that we may be conformed to the image of the Son, to the fullness and the likeness of Jesus. That's what the gospel is about, is us being transformed to the fullness and the likeness of Jesus. And the truth is God uses difficult circumstances to, to shape us into the fullness and likeness of Jesus. God uses hard things so that we have an opportunity to act like Jesus. How will you know that you are patient unless you are put in a place where you have to produce patience? How, how will you know if you're loving unless you have been given the opportunity to be loving? How do you know you're forgiving, forgiving unless you're being put in a place to be forgiving? James 1, 2 says, Count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing that uh, <clears throat> you, for you know that testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfected complete lacking in nothing let steadfastness have its full effect sometimes we think the gospel is a shortcut where we do not we will not um allow God to form character in us. Sometimes we, we, we substitute character development with spiritualness and the spirit. God, I just want a breakthrough. God, I, you, you, we, it's a hack. We want a hack. But God's like, uh-uh, no. Let steadfastness This is a very painful word. I'm like, I'm, I can say here and say it with the chest. I'm like, let's steadfastness. But you do not know. Do you know what that means? It means stew in your pain. It means let the difficult times come. There's a temptation that we have been taught this gospel that says hard times are not coming or that hard things are not going to happen to us. That it's going to be good. God is glorious. He will, it says he will work it out. It, it, it. It's not about the end result. He will work it out. The bad thing, it's there. It exists. Don't deny it. It's going to happen. We are going to feel pain. We are going to feel grief. We're going to feel loss. We're going to feel all sorts of things. But God is working it out. Let steadfastness produce its full work. It means stay. We were, to we were singing earlier about abiding, hiding. That's what, that that, that's what it is. That's what we were singing about. Is abide and when troubles come, let steadfastness produce its full works by abiding in God. Hiding in Him. 
The gospel message is about that, that God transforms us in our daily lives every day. The gospel is about God shifting us, shifting what's in our hearts, what we have enthroned in our hearts and putting him first. That regardless of whatever happens in life, that he becomes number one. That through pain, through trial, through through suffering, God remains number one. That he remains unshaken. That he he is our firm foundation that we are built on. Because he's the only thing that remains. In the beginning, there was God. There's There's never a point where God did not exist. He holds all things together. He holds existence together. So that's why he is our firm foundation. Gospel is about returning God to the rightful place as this main pillar of our lives. Now, for that to happen, he needs to unseat certain things in our lives. Because God knows we like putting other things in the thrones of our heart. Let's read Romans 1 from 21 to 25. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became foolish and exchanged the glory of an immortal God for image resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them, up, uh, gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonor of their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served Create, uh, serve the create, the creature. Sorry, the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. This is a very hectic scripture, and I just want to break it down for a little bit. Is the gospel is about returning Jesus and God to the center of our lives to be Him being the anchor. But there are other things in our hearts that replace it. The Bible has a word for those. Those are called idols. What an idol is, is a substitute for God. The thing that we take and we replace God with. The scripture starts off with saying, they knew God, but they did not honor him as God. When we, last week we talked about the fact that when sometimes we get disappointed with God because we expected him to do something and we look for alternatives and replacements. Sometimes we know God, we know his goodness, but we choose not to honor him to his full extent because of certain reasons, and then we end up looking for alternates and substitutes, something to replace God. This God's not working, I need a new one to replace him and to do what I want. And it says they became futile in their thinking and their hearts were darkened. When we look for alternatives and we look for substitutes apart from God, our thinking becomes futile. And it's so quick for our, it's very easy for our hearts to become darkened because the standard is eradicated. Then we make certain compromises all the time and we come up with, we, we can excuse anything. Because we know God and we choose not to acknowledge him as God because we've put somebody, something else as God. I remember a time in this country when a certain politician, actually not even a certain time or a certain politician, all the time in this country, when a certain politician does something wrong, we excuse them and we come up with excuses for them. And we're like, ah, no, everybody steals. Everybody deserves to take a little share of something. He stole Regardless of whoever it is, the truth is he stole. But we've, because we are coming up with alternatives, we need to wash down the truth and lower the standard. Sort of like lower the standard so that this alternate God of ours can meet the standard. 
we lower, we shift the barrier lines. We shift, everybody bribes. We move the goalpost because we fail to acknowledge who God is in our lives and we choose not to honor him as God. Then our thinking becomes futile. It's a slippery, slippery slope. It's a downward spiral. It's just, it starts with the little things. And at the end of the day, what becomes the right thing anymore? What's wrong and what's right? Have you ever seen people that have been so deceived that they can sit there? I watched this thing some, like a couple of weeks back and I was like, guys, we don't know what evil is anymore. Where somebody stands up and says, oh, I actually think being, a porn, being, a, 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 uh, being in the porn industry is actually a good thing. I'm creating work and I'm providing relief for people that are in stress. So it's more like social services. <laughs> they became futile in their thinking. When we choose to acknowledge and see who God is, we reduce the standard. I, I saw this clip on TV. I don't know what they're talking about, but it's just a five-second clip where someone says, uh, Lowering the standard. Truth is not, truth is become, I make truth in my own image. I make what's right in my own image. Minimize the issue of God. Minimize the, this God to just lower him. Exchange the glory of the immortal God for an image resembling mortal man. The human heart is an idol factory. I think John Calvin said that. We're always creating idols. We're always looking to create saviors. Out of everywhere, we look for something to rescue us from this miserable anything. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they knew that God brought them out of Egypt. They knew that there was a cloud, there was fire, there was all sorts of miracles, there were plagues. God parted the seas and they walked right through them. And then they get to the desert and they spend time in the desert. Then all of a sudden, they think, oh, I think we need to create a God. So now they create this calf and then now, all of a sudden, if you go read exactly there in Exodus, they all of a sudden say, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. Like, I, I, excuse you, but like, you just made this thing. <laughs> I know we can laugh at them and we, like, we think about idolatry in a sense of like ancient pagan things where people would throw their children in the fire and all sorts because they feel like afraid and all of that. And you think, how oh, can they do that? But in our own times, we also sacrifice a whole lot because we are afraid of losing certain things. We are afraid and therefore we must do something to keep, you know, find something to anchor our hope into. At least if I burnt the sage... There's something that keeps, that builds faith in me. Because I burnt the sage. Because I did something like that, you know, because we look for, is to, why can't Jesus just be enough? Because we need something to anchor our faith in. For, for the ancient person, it was, it was throwing people down a volcano because their fear became real. They truly believe that if they do this, then they'll have the rain will come or they'll have a, a, a fertile soil or all, all sorts of things. They truly believe that. And they exchanged God's glory for an image. What idolatry does, it takes what God has given and gives the credit to the idol. God provides. We take the credit, we give it to our job. God supports, he, he sustains us. We take the credit, 
We give it to a boyfriend or a, or a girlfriend. And therefore now, because this thing has the credit, then we must do whatever it takes to keep this happy and in place so that it can provide more. But in honest truth, it's not because of that thing. God provided. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from God. There are, when we find identity, meaning, security, and joy from anything other than God, we are in idolatry. When your worth is anchored in your job, when your work is, worth is anchored in your bank balance, when your worth is anchored in how many people like your post and how many followers you have or how many friends you have. You're living in idolatry. Let me change that. We're living in idolatry. If we think about it properly, idolatry is actually a self-salvation project. It is about and the, the funny thing about idols is that they make you do all the work. <laughs> you do all the work and they get all the credit. <laughs> like honestly, oh, I'm so thankful for my job. You worked, but you, you did all the work. <laughs> you, you did the work. <laughs> You're like, when people are so scared, I can't, I can't lose this relationship. You mean the world to me and all of that. <laughs> You're doing all the work to keep this relationship. <laughs> it's self-salvation. You're doing all the work to make sure that this thing gets the credit. It's like that thing when people say all the time, um, when uh, you have a function at home and you have friends who do nothing, and they just sit in the car and they get delivered food and everything, and then afterwards you tell them, oh, thank you, for so, thank you so much for coming. <laughs> now imagine when you have something, that's going to make you run around, do all the work, just you're stressing, you're fussing, you're fighting to make sure that this thing works out and is perfect and it's happy and it's not going to be frustrated or all of these other things. And then afterwards you say, oh, thank you for blessing me. <laughs> we are funny creatures, aren't we? <laughs> like, even, the thing is that what idols do is that they sell us a dream and they sell us this false narratives. And they, you, we, we all of a sudden believe that we will become something. There's a saying that I really hate in Isizul. It says, <laughs> I hate it. Translated, you just made me a person. So what happens most of the time is that if somebody buys you something nice, and then somebody responds like, oh, I'm so thankful you just made me a person. Just because you got these shoes, that, that mean that, does that mean that you're a person now? There was, long ago, there was this very funny video of this guy who walks out of a shop and he just bought a cavella. I love how ridiculous trends are because now that you know that that trend of cavellas was stupid. <laughs> but back then, <laughs> this guy... Walks out of a shop, he's just bought a cavella, he has this bag, bag from Spritz, and he's just, ah oh man, who remembers Spritz? There's <laughs> this bag in the air, and he's so happy, he's like, ah, I'm a person too. Oh, now I'm saying, do I have a cavella. I have worth all of a sudden just because I have a pair of shoes. Advertisers use that all the time. I remember this one time I was walking through a mall with my mother and sister and this guy walks up to us and says, may I interest you in this product that will revolutionize your life. It will give you this very exceptionally healthy lifestyle. What is that? It's a set of pots. <laughs> so my mom walks away and like, 
Mapoto. And so I was just fascinated, and I'm stopped, and I'm like, so tell me more about how does these parts were reproduced? <laughs> how does this lifestyle come about? And then he's like, well, it changes the way you cook. Because of its heat retention capacity and the Teflon coated base where it becomes non-stick, so you reduce the amount of oil you use and you reduce blah, 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 the amount of electricity that's used and all of that, then all of a sudden you have your lifestyle becomes changed. <laughs> Buy it. <laughs> Advertisers use, all that, all, use this all the time. Nowadays, you don't get sold the product, you get sold the lifestyle. You, you, like, you just, just watch an advert. You'll just see people busy doing something that's totally unrelated to insurance. And then at the end, there's insurance. What's the thing? Have a peace of mind. People enjoying, they're happy, they're smiling. Why? Because always Coca-Cola. So that you can associate Coke with happiness. They even said it, open up happiness so that you can associate this thing with this, then all of a sudden you think that Coke gives you happiness. Then we twist things because of association. There's a certain thing in our, in, in, in our brains, in our, in our chemistry, in our minds. Like, there's a certain chemical called oxytocin. It's called a love chemical. It's associated with when somebody gets shown a picture of their loved ones. There's a spike in your brain of that chemical. Because how does that develop is because over time, you associate that person with a certain feeling. You associate a place with a certain feeling. You end up associating these things all together. So when you see that person, oxytocin goes poof. And then you feel this, this niceness, this euphoric high. you high on chemicals. <laughs> I'm not downplaying love, I'm sorry. <laughs> we associate these things. So what idols do is that they sneak in and then we become, we associate the, creature, the created thing oh, instead of the creator. We associate feelings and emotion to this created thing, and we forgot about the hand behind it. So what ends up happening is that we try to short, shortcut this whole system and be like, I know what gives me pleasure. I know what gives me satisfaction. Let me go to it constantly and forgot about the hand behind the thing. So how do we identify these idols? Proverbs 4.23 says, keep, uh, keep your heart with all vigilance, for it, flow, for, for it flows the springs of life. Other version says, guard your heart with all vigilance because out of it comes the issues of life. How do we identify idols? Our emotions... Tell us we have an idol. When we, we, when we become anxious, it's often a sign that we feel like something we hold dear is threatened. When we become bitter, it's because somebody is causing something that you love to be, is withholding something that you love from you. When we become afraid, is because we fear losing the thing that we hold dear. When we become angry, it's often because there's a, there's, it's a result of something that you wanted and that you love being blocked from you. When we feel like, when we feel rejected, it's because there's something that, you've, that holds your identity and who you are that's been cut off from you. And when I'm talking about emotions, I'm not talking about, you know, some, some cases are clinical cases. I'm not trying to psychologize you. I'm just trying to share God's word. I'm talking about everyday emotions where we come up with anxiety. You need to investigate, where is this anxiety coming from? Yeah. 
What's the source? What's been, what, what are you afraid of? This fear. Where's the source of this fear? This anger. Where's the source of this anger? This rejection. Why are you angry? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Like, in the story of Cain and Abel, God has this very interesting conversation with, with, with Cain that it just shocks me sometimes when just God's like, why are you angry? <laughs> and then he's like, sin is at your door. And, it, and, and, and I'm paraphrasing now. It says, it's waiting to devour you, but you can rule over it. Like you have a choice. Sometimes we feel like emotions are a project of a, a, a result of a circumstance, and that's what they are. But in actual fact, our emotions are indicators. They're showing you that there's something in the system up here that's not right. I connect you somewhere. <laughs> I, I, I don't mean that you're, not, you're mentally ill. I just mean like, <laughs> I mean like there's something that you find that is not right. There's in your system of your life that you have created, there's something that's not right. So how do, we, how, how do we deal with these idols? First, we have to acknowledge that they are, they are primary idols, things that are the deep-seated mot- motivators behind all the things that we're chasing after. And those are comfort, approval, control, significance. Somebody might want money because they just want to live a comfortable life. Somebody might want money just because they need approval so that people can say, you're the man. Somebody might want money because it gives them control. Now, all of a sudden, you're the breadwinner. And people must listen to you. Some people want money because they want significance. Because it wins the moon, These are all sorts of things that we have to look out for. What is, the pri- what is the root cause behind this idol? Why are you disappointed that your child failed? That you actually are becoming angry? Is it because you are looking for approval through them? They're an extension of who you are. So therefore, if they do good, then you look good. Why are you so disappointed by the job that you have? Is it because when people look at you, you find significance in having a corner office? You're looking for approval in driving a certain car. You don't want to ride a taxi anymore because it's, not, it's, not, it's no longer the way you, you are. You want to be significant. You want to be seen as a certain person. Sometimes, like, when we started, you can think that idols, ah, oh, no, it's that wooden thing that you keep somewhere, and it's that shrine, it's that, it's this, it's that. But, like, the, check, they are, they, there's a lot right here. <laughs> there's a lot right here. And then it causes us to be bitter, to be angry, to be resentful. To, uh, that's not what God has for us. The gospel, Jesus came so he can unseat those things. So we can be freed from that. It's a self, it's, it's a prison that we constantly put ourselves in all the time. I said earlier that, you know, God created this world so that we can enjoy it. But the problem comes when we've short-circuited the system and we're enjoying the things and the things become what gives us worth instead of God. Instead of the things that God has clearly and often just freely given, we look for it in other things. We look for substitutes. We're exchanging the 
image and the glory of an immortal and imperfect God for something that is worthless, that is made in human image, that won't last, that can't sustain you, that can't give you peace, that can't give you long-lasting peace, that can't give you long-lasting satisfaction. It's an interesting world that God puts us in. You know, that God called you to this earth and he's given you a purpose and he said, fill the earth and subdue it. God has called you to be a business person. God has called you to be a student, to be a nurse, a doctor, and all sorts of these things. He has called you to fulfill all of that, to have a beautiful family, to have great blessing in your life, to be healthy, to be all of that. But he has not called you to worship that. He has not called you to have that as the primary target and the primary goal of your life. There's something more to it. So, how do we kill idols? First, we need to identify idols. How do we identify them? I just told you. It's our emotion. Why am I angry? What's the deep-seated issue behind my anger and rage and all of that. So when we've identified it, then we have to ask ourselves, what is the lie that I am believing about God and the gospel? What is the lie that you're believing, that you have exchanged the truth for this lie? Have you believed that your healing is going to come from doing something? Have you believed that you are going to be loved and, and, and appreciated by people because you have money? What is the lie? Break it down to that and acknowledge that this is a lie that I have believed. And following by that, what is the truth? And I'm not talking about facts. I'm, talking, I'm, I'm saying what is the truth? You know, The fact is you could be sick right now. It's a fact. The fact is you could be broke. It's a fact. (laughs) Ain't got no way. It's a fact. But what is God's truth about the matter? What is the biblical truth about money? What does the Bible say about healing? What does the Bible say about significance and identity? What is the word of God? What does it say? What, does God, what has God said about your life? What has God said? So when we see the lie, when we acknowledge the truth, what we need to do is repent of the lie. Call it for what it is and repent of believing the lie. We can't be so prideful and, and not want to repent. Sometimes we find... We find significance in being a victim. Therefore, I I have been victimized. I have suffered. I have gone through so much. You don't know my pain. Does your pain give you worth? We have to acknowledge that we have exchanged the truth of God for this lie. And we have to repent for it. And sometimes we repent even though it's painful. God, I'm sorry for my pride that I have believed that this pain that I have felt gives me worth. I'm sorry for believing that you can't do X, Y, and Z. I'm sorry for believing that I am this and that and that. When we repent, there's a supernatural grace that God gives to us. Oh, yes, it came out right. (laughs) There's a supernatural grace that God gives to us. And this grace is to live by faith. Faith is not denying the facts. Faith is believing the truth of God. Faith is knowing what God has said about the matter and trusting God over circumstance and trusting God over the situation. And, and choose, it's choosing to look at the truth of God. It's choosing to say, God, you are the center of my life. God, you are the primary thing that I look for. You are what gives me worth and significance. You are 
the source of everything in, in my life. We, if I have you, I have everything. Uh, what's this guy's name? I forgot. There's a book, uh, A.W. Tozer. He writes in his book, uh, he says that for the person who has God and has nothing, he knows that he has the greatest treasure out of all of them. Because in that one treasure are contained every other treasure that you can find on, in, in earth. For the person who does not have God as his treasure has other things. Their life is full of anxiety and fear because they know that the, the treasure that they have might be temporary. So when we live by faith, we choose to know that we have the one true treasure. That in God, we have, we live, we move, we have our being. That he is the creator and the author of life. That he sustains us. That he holds us up. To have a gospel-centered life is to dispel idols and is to live by faith. Is to live by knowing who God is and what God has created you for. Before I close, I just want us to do something. I want us to stand up, please. And we're going to read Hebrews 11. Like, I find no greater definition of what faith is than Hebrews 11. Regardless of where you're at in life, you will find a point in your life where you can identify with something that's said in this, in the, in, in this passage. So can we all read it together? It's going to come up on the screen. If you can't see it properly, you can read it on your phone or your Bible. Okay. Thank you for tuning in. For more messages like these and other resources, you can visit our website at enderban.org. Remember to subscribe to our podcast channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Be blessed.